listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm so glad. Hey, my name is Pastor Jason, if you don't know, and I am so glad you're here at the Mission, a part of our family this morning. Um, Christmas is a crazy time. I don't know if anybody else was feeling what Jeff was saying, but I definitely am feeling that. It's uh, kids going out on Christmas break, and that throws everything out of whack, you know, and, and um, you know, life is just crazy. It's funny because we sing about peace a lot at Christmas time and a silent night. And, you know, and it's like, I don't know if anybody else is feeling uber peace this season, but man, I'm not there right now, just admittedly. And um, things just aren't always as they seem, right? Like we, we, uh, there, my wife and I were watching this TV show um, the other night, and I do not endorse this TV show in any way, shape, or form, but, um, but we were watching it, and it was called um, The Morning Show. It's on Apple TV+, Plus, and, and there was this great scene where Jennifer Aniston's in it, who used to be in Friends, woo-woo, and, um, and uh, she and her family are in this, like, argument, just crazy argument. They're in this limousine, right? And they're yelling and screaming and she's freaking out and, you know, and they're pulling up to a red carpet um, where she's getting this like big award. And, uh, and so like they're screaming and yelling at each other. And the minute they pull up to the red carpet and the door opens, she's pristine, just like peaceful, mask on her face, like total news lady, you know, face. And, and I just think, man, sometimes that's the way Christmas feels. Like we feel like we have to exit the church, the car or whatever, uh, on our way to church. And maybe we have to throw on the mask of peace or the mask of I've got it all together. And I'm telling you guys right now, at the, in this family, we say that we're not just a church, we're a family. And in this family, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Because I don't have it all together. I'm, I'm a mess sometimes, and, and things just aren't always as they seem. And, and it's, no, it's no different I think sometimes with the Christmas story, actually, like we have, there are places in the Christmas story where our culture has romanticized it a bit. And uh, I don't know if you feel that at all, but there's always more to the story than what it seems. You know, you can look at people whom you deeply, deeply respect from a distance and you have no idea what's going on in the internal workings of their story, right? And so you just never know. And, and uh, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we, we have romanticized the Christmas story a little bit in that way. There's, there's always more to the story. Many of us have heard the Christmas story. If you're a believer, maybe you've heard it thousands of times. Or, or if this is your first time hearing it, man, I'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of the first time you hear the Christmas story. But, um, you know, some things that you know, 
myths Christians believe about the Christmas story um, around this time of year, you know, there, there are several things that have been romanticized. Like, like, for instance, how many assume that Mary rode a donkey? Right? I mean, she may. The Bible doesn't say she rode a donkey. We don't know. She could have been pregnant and walked the 65 miles, you know, to Bethlehem or whatever. Um, like, but the Bible doesn't specifically say that she rode a donkey, and yet somehow we have made that jump, right? Um, what about the three wise men? How, ma- how many know the three wise men, right? We don't actually know how many wise men there are. We know that there were three gifts. So there could have been 25 wise men and three gifts. And essentially, you know, these wise men were the first essential oil dealers, like <laughs> frankincense, myrrh, you know, like, um, and I won't make any more essential oil jokes because I know people who are very serious about their oils. So, um, <laughs> but we don't know, actually know that there were three wise men. Think about every Christmas play you've ever seen, three wise men, right? We don't actually know. Um, What about the little drummer boy? Who assumes there was a drummer boy at the nativity scene, right? That's just a song. That's not in the Bible, right? And, And newborn parents, a little boy playing the drums is exactly what they want, right? A mother who's just given birth, you know, in less than ideal conditions, definitely wants a child playing drums near the baby, right? Like, no, no, that's not a part of the story. What about, what about the mean innkeeper, right? The mean innkeeper that rejects them and closes the door. There's no room, right? It does say that there was no room in the inn, but where's the mean innkeeper that are displayed in these Christmas plays or whatever, right? Where is he? He's not there. He's never mentioned. This last one, is, is, is kind of funny to me, but uh, we, we, we always assume that Jesus was born in a barn, right? Like, because even, I have this nativity scene that I love to death because my grandma painted it and I love my grandma and it's kind of, it's, I, I don't really put it out because it's like, looks like precious moments and I just, I, I can't, I can't do that. But, but I hold it, I hold the box and I just feel warm feelings, right? And, and um, nothing that there's, not that there's anything wrong with precious moments if you're into those or whatever, but um, I'm going to take my foot out of my mouth there. And, um, and, I, and I love it to pieces, but um, but it's a, it's a barn scene, right? And so the Bible says that Jesus was, was born not, uh, not in a barn. It says he was born in a manger, right? A manger, right? And in homes back in the day, like, the people would sleep upstairs, and sometimes they would let the small animals sleep inside. So there could possibly be a manger on the inside of someone's house. Like, we don't know. Like, I'm just saying we don't know. You know, we don't know for sure he was born in a barn. But there was, there are all kinds of truths that have been romanticized about the Bible, the Christmas story. And, and, and the truth is, is, is that 
you know, several of these things we don't know, but one thing that we for sure don't take into account of the Christmas story a lot of times is the enormous risk that Mary and Joseph took being obedient to God. There was enormous, enormous risk to be obedient to God uh, in in this story. And and, um, we're in a series right now called The Gift Exchange. And, And if you've been with us, we've been going through... Uh, week by week, talking about a, a gift that we can give God and the gift that he gives us in return. And, and what's funny is our gift um, that God wants us to give him is usually terrible. Like, uh, like the first week we talked about giving him our worry for his peace. Right, we talked about anxiety and, uh, and and worry for his peace. And last week, Ricardo talked about, um, you know, giving, exchanging God our hurt for his comfort and future um, future joy. Joy. There we go. No, no, future glory, glory. glory. Right, right, right. Future glory. Right. Our, our hurt for his present comfort and future glory, right? And uh, so we've been going through these exchanges where God kind of gets the raw end of the deal, but it's cool with him actually. Like he wants it that way. Like he wants us to give him his worry and he wants to give us his peace, right? He wants us to exchange our hurt for his comfort and future glory. And, and this week I, I was supposed to speak on grief and joy, um, but Jeff already tackled that subject, um, so I'm going to change on the spot. No, I, I had already, I, I felt like a word from the Lord this morning as I was coming in, and so you'll have to forgive me if my thoughts are a little scattered or whatever, but I feel like the Lord wanted us to, to speak on today is uh, God wants you to exchange your risk for his redemption, your risk for his redemption. And so that may sound weird. Like, what does that even mean, Jason? Your, your risk for his redemption. Um, risk doesn't come up a lot around Christmas time. It, it just doesn't. And, and, but the kind of risk I'm talking about is a faith-filled risk. A faith-filled risk. Something that you feel the Lord is asking you to do that feels uncomfortable, that feels uncomfortable to you. And, and as you weigh the balance of positive and positives and negatives in taking the risk, I want us to take a closer look at the story of Mary and Joseph and how um, their faith-filled risk, their faith-filled obedience, even though it was so culturally risky, God brought a redemption through it that changed the world, right? He brought a redemption through it that would change the world. And so before we go any further, I, I want to pray. And if it, it, the, this prayer is just for, for me that the Lord would speak and, and, just, uh, and, and that I would just be able to get out of the way. Um, and so if you would just join me in prayer, I haven't, I always try to get before my face, on my face before the Lord, before I speak. And I really haven't had a chance to do that this morning. So just let me, let me just take a moment. God, come before you now, Lord. 
I surrender to you. I surrender to your word, Father. I surrender to your Holy Spirit. Father, would you come now? Would you use me? Would you speak through me? Would you throw out anything that is of me and, and use only things that will glorify and build up your body, Lord? Father, you're so good and you're so kind. Father, we've come to glorify you. We've come to grow deeper in relationship with you and with each other, Lord. So, Father, come and fill this place with your presence. Father, break any stronghold of the enemy right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So, let's dive in. Risk for redemption. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. So let's just go ahead and read through um, this first part of the account. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I want you to think about this. Really think about the reality of, of this situation. So Mary is, um, I don't know, let's just say she's, uh, she's catching up on Netflix. She's Netflixing and chilling. And uh, the, maybe not, I don't know. I can't back that up. Um, but, um, you know, this, this angel appears out of nowhere. And um, she, the angel is like, this, uh, you're going to bear a child, Mary, and, um, 
you know, the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and, you know, there's not going to be an earthly father and it's going to be called the Son of God. Like, some people might be like, no, thank you. Like, I'm good, right? You know, like, hey, that's kind of weird. Like, you know, but, but Mary responds, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to as your word. And, and, and so what this meant, like, this was risky for Mary, if you think about it. She's um, a teenager, right, who will become pregnant. She's unmarried, but engaged, betrothed. Betrothed actually means that they were, uh, they were looked upon as husband and wife, but they hadn't actually be, been made officially husband and wife. So this was like a deep meaningful thing. She was betrothed to Joseph and, and uh, she could have like all of the things that could, that she was risking at this point by being obedient to what God was asking of her. She could have lost her um, fiance, Joseph. She didn't know how he would react to being in, you know, impregnated by the Holy Spirit and bearing the Son of God. Like she, she, all, all she knew was that she was going to be pregnant and, and Joseph wasn't going to be the father. She didn't know how Joseph was going to react. So she could have lost her, her fiance. She could have been and probably was the center of public shame. A pregnant teenage mother who's engaged but unmarried, she was probably the talk of the town, right? It's a good thing cyberbullying wasn't around back then because the bullying probably happened face to face, right? And can you just imagine? And, and, and not only that, but there was, a, there was a custom back then that if you were betrothed, like I said, uh, betrothed is like engaged but deeper. And if you were betrothed and you became pregnant and the husband of the couple said it wasn't his, you could be killed. You could be stoned, right? That was the punishment for that. And, and yet, despite all these negatives tipping the scale, she said, let it be unto me according to your word. That is risky, especially in her culture. Let's switch to Joseph. Joseph, in, we, we get the account of an angel coming to Joseph in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And let's flip over, over there. Um, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke from sleep, I mean, when Joseph, <laughs> uh, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, all, all, of, the, all, all of the risks that Joseph, Joseph uh, that, that Mary rather, is taking are, are amplified culturally by, by being a man in this situation. And so when Joseph says, uh, he was a man of honor and he, had, he, he would, was unwilling to put her to shame and had resolved to, to divorce her quietly. That was his way of basically saving her life. If he had put her to shame, if he had put it before the public, they were going to stone her for sure. Um, and I mean, I, I, I think about Joseph a lot around Christmas time because I just think like, if this angel hadn't come to him, where would we be? You know, like if Joseph hadn't believed fully that this baby was from the Holy Spirit and was the Son of God, like what what would I be feeling in that moment? You know, my my wife Kim comes to me and says, you know, I'm I'm pregnant. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, like, wh- I, I know I'm not the father, so, and oh, it's the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> right? Like that, I just, th- I think about the reality, like the, the different spectrums of feelings and risk that they must have been experiencing. But thankfully, God did send this angel to speak to Joseph and, and Mary separately and they were able to move forward in faith-filled risk. The men of the town would have most certainly saw Joseph as a coward, for sure. Because they would know certainly that uh, the child, he was not the legitimate father of the, of the child. Now, I say, that, I say today that God wants to take our faith-filled risk and bring his redemption and exchange it for his redemption. And we've taken a look at some of the ways that Mary and Joseph have risked to, to, to bring this child into the world and be obedient to God. And it would have been very easy for them to turn away at any, any point, but Long ago, this child was prophesied. Long ago. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the, <clears throat> of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the child that we're speaking of here. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And it goes on to say in Isaiah 53, this was said long before Mary was pregnant, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he was, and they, and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born, born, he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So here's the thing. Mary and Joseph took a faith-filled risk in being obedient to God. Risking cultural shame, physical harm, they risked that, that God would be faithful to his word that he has said. And the redemption that was prophesied thousands and thousands of years ago that the Messiah would come and wipe away our every sin and transgression through Mary and Joseph's obedience to God came the Savior of the world. What is God asking you to risk What is God asking you to risk in this next season? He could be, there, there are all kinds of faith-filled risks. Is he asking you to uh, invite that person at work to lunch to give them a venue to vent and build a friendship so that one day they may recognize Christ in you and want it, want him. Because when people know you are a Christian, lots of times there's a stigma attached to that because they don't actually know what you believe. So just simply inviting someone 
to lunch who's an unbeliever can be a risk? Is God asking you to uh, change something about your life, the way you um, operate? Is God asking you to lay down some form of security so that his redemption may come further into your family? Is God asking you to risk something financially? I don't know. I'm just, think, I'm just thinking of options. You have to decide between you and God what he is calling you to risk. Because I don't, there's a famous Chronicles of Narnia quote, and I've heard people quote it thousands and thousands of times, and I've always said I'm never going to quote that because it's way overquoted, but I'm going to quote it now. It's from Narnia, and he says, you know, he's taught, um, I think it's Tumnus, the, the dude with horns, and um, he says, uh, is, is Aslan safe? Aslan is the Jesus figure in Chronicles of Narnia, and I don't know, somebody, who, who responds? The beaver. the beaver, okay, there we go, thank you, Jody. The beaver responds and is like, well, he's good. He's not safe, but he's good, right? Did I get that right? Something like that, I don't know. Um, no, that, that's what the quote is. He, he says, uh, Mr. Tumnus says, is, is Aslan safe? And the beaver goes, well, he's good. And so risk is, uh, is something that's not super comfortable to talk about in, in church. But here's the deal is, is, is Mary and Joseph were willing to risk public ridicule and shame and physical harm so that the redemption of the world could be, could be brought before us in the way made back to God. And... I don't know about you, but God has a way of putting a, putting a risk before me and, and me saying, no, I, I couldn't possibly. No, you're not calling me to do that. No, and then I just try to push it away and then slowly, slowly he draws me in and I begin to like, get excited about the possibility of it. And then he, show, he just... He doesn't always give me the whole plan, but he gives me the next step, you know? And so in this season, I want to ask you, what is God asking you to risk that could birth redemption in somebody else's life? Because that's what this is all about, church. That's what this is all about. If we're just here uh, singing some songs and reading some psalms or, or whatever, like, and just reading the Bible aloud, like, like, and nothing changes in people's lives. What are we doing? We can sing songs at home. We have the book on our phones, right? If transformation isn't taking place in people's lives, what are we doing? Isn't that worth taking a risk? Isn't that worth risking 
some, some public ridicule, right? Transformation. Because God, I, I believe we are called to risk for redemption, for the redemption of others. I'm gonna tell you just one more story and then I'm gonna stop rambling. As the worship team comes on up. So I've been at the mission for uh, seven years now and it seems crazy when I say it like that. My, when I first got the call about the mission my wife and I were in upstate New York in a little town you probably never heard of called Watertown. It's about, oh, awesome. Uh, it's about 30 miles south of Canada. And um, it's about as cold as you can get. Um, and we were, had been at a church there for six years. And I was the host pastor for a multi-site location. Um, we lived in a parsonage, which is almost unheard of in the modern church, especially for an associate pastor. Parsonage is like a house that the church owns that they let their pastors live in, basically. And um, we were very well t- taken care of. Um, we, were, we were loved and we loved a lot of people. Our, our kids, when they were really little, had people in their lives that felt like family, like grandparents, almost even though their grandparents were actually in California and Ohio. And we were, we were settled, you know. The only thing is, is that we were bored. We were bored. I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, and I got a phone call from this, this guy, a longtime friend of mine, um, and he said, hey, I'm going to be named the lead pastor of the Mission Redlands Church. Um, you want to be my associate worship leader? And I was like, oh, man, that sounds exciting. You know, like, uh, we could move back to California, I, you know, I guess, or whatever. And, and long story short, we go through this process of like three or four months where we're just talking on the phone and feeling like, kindred spirits and like the Lord stirring something up in me. And finally we get to the place where we're like, are we going to do this? You know? And, um, and I said, well, you know, I, I like, I have to take care of my family. So, you know, like we should probably talk, you know, finances or whatever. And he's like, oh, well, we have no money. Like we can't pay you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, all right. Um, so let me think about it, <laughs> you know? And, and then, I, I mean, basically, I, I, ha- I said no. I was like, no, I, I can't come to, re- to the Mission Redlands, California. Um, I mean, we're so settled here. We have this, you know, this huge 100-year-old house that we live in. You know, we, we love people at our church. And, you know, but, like, even if this means we're bored for a while longer, um, you know, I don't think I can do this. And so I go and tell Kim what I said, and Kim was like, what? Don't you feel like if the Lord, do you feel, she, the first thing she said was, do you feel like the Lord is calling us to do this? And I said, yes. And she said, so if you feel like the Lord is calling us to do this, don't you think he'll provide us with what we need? 
if he's, if he's actually calling us? And I said, you don't know anything. Go away. <laughs> I said, come on. And so I, I, that same day, I went to lunch with a, with a mentor, a friend of mine. And I told him the whole situation. And by the time I'm done telling him the whole situation, he basically is like, don't you think that if you feel like the Lord is calling you to this, like he'll provide? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. That's awesome. I wish I had thought of that already. Like, and, and so like, I joke with Kim about that all the time. And she's still like, you, should, you didn't listen to me, but you listened to him say the same thing. And, and, um, and so I called my friend back and said, hey, we're coming. I don't know what it means, but we're coming. And it, and it did end up that they were able to pay us just like a little tiny bit. But, but um, my wife worked at Starbucks. I, I was a stay-at-home dad part of the time and drove down from Crestline to be here for, uh, I don't know, six months. And, and it was hard work. And it was so, so, so risky because we left a situation where we were very comfortable, very secure, but we, I mean, essentially what my wife was saying was, don't you think that if God is calling us to this, he's going to provide the way for this. And seven years later, you know, I, I never dreamed to be in the lead pastor. I never wanted to be a lead pastor ever. Like lead pastor is like dad. Like he's responsible. You know, like I want to be the fun uncle that you just see for every once in a while and he brings you fireworks from China. But here I am and my family has continued to risk and to risk and to risk and to be faithful to God's calling on our life. Uh, to see the redemption of God come to Redlands. And I want to say in the new year, I want to say that Mission Church in the new year, if we're not risking more for redemption, we're missing it. We're missing it. It's going to be my goal in the new year To, to live a life that honors God and is obedient to him despite the risks. And I'm calling you to join me in that. Because if we are not seeing transformation in people's lives when the church grows or declines, that just means the Christians are shuffling churches. And there's no real transformation taking place but I want to see the redemption of God way, like move like a powerful wave through this city. And I'm calling you to risky obedience today. Would you join me in that in this next season? I want to pray now before I start talking again. Jesus, I had other plans for this morning, Lord, but I humbly surrender to you. Father, I pray that you take this mess of words and scripture that I just poured out, and I pray that you make what you want to stick, stick. 
Lord, but I believe you are calling the mission church to a deeper level of risk to see your redemption come like it hasn't before in this place, to see transformation happen. God, I, I thank you that Mary and Joseph said yes to you and were obedient to their yes, Lord. God, we say yes to you. We say yes in obedience and in faith-filled risk, Lord. Come and have your way. Use us as you see fit. I pray that things that are just busy work that our church is doing, Lord, would fall off. And that kingdom impact would be at the forefront of our vision, Lord. That, would, that transformation and redemption would be the target that we're striving for discipleship would, would, would flood this place. And Lord, not for our glory, not so that we might have a bigger church or whatever, but for your glory and so that more might know you and that the, the gates of hell would be empty. That transformation, that those who are lost would be found, Father. Lost sons and daughters would come home to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. And as we pray for the offering, as the ushers come forward, God, everything we have is a gift from you. Lord, we recognize it as a gift from you. We recognize the beauty of your provision. Father, the, you clothe the fields with lilies, Lord. And the birds of the air you feed, Father. So we trust in your provision for your ministry at this church. May we use it to build your kingdom in our neighborhood and in the nations. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.